Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. In his book, The Sense of Beauty, Being the Outline of Aesthetic Theory, the Spanish philosopher George Santayana wrote this, Human attention inevitably flickers. We survey things in succession, and our acts of synthesis and our realization of fact are only occasional. This is the tenure of all our possessions. We are not uninterruptedly conscious of ourselves, our physical environment, our ruling passions, or our deepest convictions. What wonder, then, that we are not constantly conscious of that perfection which is the implicit ideal of all our preferences and desires. We view it only in parts as passion or perception successively directs our attention to its various elements. Some of us, he goes on, never tried to conceive it, that perfection which is the implicit ideal of all of our preferences and desires, in its totality. Yet our whole life is an act of worship to this unknown divinity. Every heartfelt prayer is offered before one or another of its images. Now for a little poetry. And I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts, a sense sublime of something far more deeply interfused, whose dwelling is the light of setting suns and the round ocean and the living air and the blue sky and in the mind of man. A motion and a spirit that impels all thinking things, all objects of all thought, and rolls through all things. End quote. Now, that's awe. A-W-E. Beethoven level. Awe. Romantic era, big A, awe. And actually, that's the British Romantic era, awe, written by William Wordsworth in a poem he called Lines Written a Few Miles Above Tintern Abbey. A presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts, a sense sublime of something far more deeply interfused whose dwelling is the light of setting suns. Awe wonder, and what we call a mystical experience. Now here's another one, this one by the Apostle Paul. He said, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that were not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. End quote. Now, that's what I want to consider today, is mystical experience, emotions of awe, wonder, the sublime, the mystical, the ineffable transcendence. Emotions and experiences that change a person's way of thinking 
and sends them down a new path, a path whose purpose was described by George Santayana in the reading, something that makes us, quote, conscious of that perfection, which is the implicit ideal of all our preferences and desires, end quote. So, I invite you to think with me now, think about those times that you have felt one with the universe, you felt held by the universe. Uh, we humanists call it one thing, uh, religious naturalists perhaps call it something else, various religious traditions supply various words for it, but let's think about this as a pan-human feeling. Wordsworth phrased it a sense sublime of something far more deeply interfused. St. Paul called it the third heaven. But it's about awe. Now that word comes from Old English. It meant fear, terror, or reverence. Fear, terror, or reverence. For the polytheistic Germanic peoples, it was something felt before the power of nature or before a very powerful leader. Later, as Christianity came into the picture, that English word was equated with the monotheistic God. Whatever you think causes it, the emotion is the same. Fear, terror, reverence. Now, I grew up in the Mid-South where tornadoes are very common. When a tornado comes close, I can guarantee you, you've got fear, terror, and reverence all mixed up together as you duck under something. I lived for a, a little while on the Gulf Coast, when a hurricane comes in, you've got awe, fear, and terror guaranteed as you crawl under something. These are the natural occurrences of awe, nature, but, you know, people go looking for it as well. The Maya, Inca, Aztecs, Egyptians set about creating awe by building those big old pyramids. European Christians set about creating awe by cre constructing those overwhelming things called cathedrals. And since then, secular structures like dams and skyscrapers have created awe. The European romantics of the 19th century went looking for it in nature. When Wordsworth felt the sensations he reports in the poem, he was hiking an awe-inspiring area along the river Wye to see some ruins of a 12th century abbey. Another favorite romantic spot was Mont Blanc in the Alps. And here in the U.S., Niagara Falls and the Grand Canyon have always been favorites for invoking awe. The first thing to keep in mind is that awe is not tied to any one religion or one art. It's a human emotion, as is wonder, which is interesting because the origin of the word wonder is Old English, too, wundor, wundrin, but we don't know what that word ever meant except for wonder. It's just one of those words that mm, is there, and it's the only word to really describe it, wonder. Dr. Jesse Prinz, a professor of philosophy at City University in New York, researches awe and wonder. Prinz believes that art, science, and religion all have awe and wonder as a common root. These emotions encourage us to try to understand and our attempt to understand is the source of religion, art, and science. Dr. Prinz writes, quote, Atheist that I am, I it took some time for me to realize that I'm a spiritual person, end quote. 
Well, actually, Dr. Prince, we're all spiritual people in one way or another because, again, it's a common and pan-human emotion. The physicist Sean Carroll, who, by the way, has a brilliant podcast called Mindscape. Yep, look that one up, Sean Carroll. He writes this. We talk about awe and wonder, but those are two different words. I am in awe of the universe, its scope, its complexity, its depth, its meticulous precision, but my primary feeling is wonder. Awe has connotations of reverence. This fills me with awe, and I am not worthy. Wonder has connotations of curiosity. This fills me with wonder, and I'm going to try to figure it out. I will take wonder and awe every day, he says, end quote. For Dr. Carroll, an atheist who calls himself a poetic naturalist, understanding more increases your awe. Put it naturalist. It's kind of a cool, you know. Here's the thing. We're not locked in any kind of zero-sum, either-or world where atheists can't have mystical experiences or theists can't realize the beauty of a completely material and observable set of physical processes. It doesn't work that way. Every human being experiences awe and wonder, sometimes across the artificial boundaries of science, art, and religion. As Sean Carroll and Jesse Prince point out, awe and wonder are the driving forces behind creativity in all those science, art, and religion. But I have to ask, why? Why is awe important to us? And I, I think it's this, self-transcendence. Self-transcendence. Getting us out of our ego and into a relationship with our planet and our fellow creatures on the planet. Now in her poem Nostos, N-O-S-T-O-S, the American poet Louise Gluck writes this, We look at the world once, in childhood. The rest is memory. Now that's a perfect description of a loss of the ability to see awe and wonder. It's a description of the damage that habit does. It's the opposite of living a life filled with awe and wonder, the kind of awe and wonder that creates science, art, and religion. Now contrast that attitude with this little poem from Emily Dickinson. Nature is what we see. The hill, the afternoon, squirrel. She actually wrote that in the thing, right? <laughs> just, just 150 years earlier. Eclipse, the bumblebee. Nay, nature is heaven, nature is what we hear, the bobolink, the sea, thunder, the cricket. Nay, nature is harmony, nature is what we know, yet have no art to say, so impotent our wisdom is to nature's simplicity. Hmm. Now, that's not the writing of somebody living in a rut, is it? This is someone who experiences awe and wonder in the little things that she sees in new ways seeing a squirrel, a bumblebee, a bird, a cricket. It's a, a poem about ineffability. It, she expresses it in a way that says it, is, it escapes my ability to put it into words. The experience that William Wordsworth and Emily Dickinson and George Santayana and Jesse Prinz and Sean Carroll and St. Paul are talking about, it's an experience beyond words, but one that reinforces personal subjective meaning and purpose in a pre-verbal sort of way, if you will. It just takes a hold of you. 
Now, I want to take a little bit closer look at what Santayana thought about this. Uh, read it again. Human attention inevitably flickers. Remember that seven-minute attention span we all have? Human attention inevitably flickers. We survey things in succession, and our acts of synthesis and our realization of fact are only occasional. This is the tenure of our possessions. We are not uninterruptedly conscious of ourselves, our physical environment, our ruling passions, or our deepest convictions. Now, now notice that Santayana is saying we live in a sort of abstract, hazy rut, not quite recognizing the things around us and not quite realizing what we ourselves are even doing. We're not focused on our central concerns, our meaning, our purpose. This is, Santayana claims, the normal mode of being alive in the world. It's our autopilot. But it's not a good thing, according to Santayana. He says, what wonder, then, that we are not constantly conscious of that perfection, which is the implicit ideal of all our preferences and desires. We view it only in parts as passion or perception successively directs our attention to its various elements. Some of us never try to conceive it in its totality, yet our whole life is an act of worship to this unknown deity. Every heartfelt prayer is offered before one or another of its images. End quote. Perfection. That, Santayana claims, is what we all long for. Perfection. But, guess what? We already live there all the time. It's just that habit makes us fail to see the wonder. Art or nature or wonder can awaken us to that perfection in ourselves, reawaken us. And we need to access that perfection, as he calls it, to keep aware of our own personal meaning and purpose and the simple joy of living and breathing in this wonderful world. Now, I'm going to go back one more time to that why. As Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote at the foundation of the transcendental movement that we are part of, he said this, Our age is retrospective. It builds the sepulchres of the fathers. It writes biographies, histories, and criticism. The foregoing generations beheld God and nature face to face. We through their eyes. Why should not we also enjoy an original relation with the universe? Why should not we have a poetry and philosophy of insight and not of tradition, and a religion by revelation to us, and not a history of theirs. End quote. Like our liberal religious forebears, the transcendentalists, humanists, religious naturalists, we all find awe in that original relation to the universe. That is where we find transcendence. It's all about getting over ourselves and getting past ourselves and getting out of our own way. Not many of us are very adept at doing that, we must admit. Getting out of your own way is about transcending that I, I, I ego thing, that illusion of self, as the Buddhists call it. That's transcendence. Why seek it? Hmm. Because... 
as all the authors I've mentioned today, I think would agree, awake and alive people change our world for the better. That's why. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.